Hello, Trillbilly family. Um, before we get started with this week's episode, we wanted to make um, a bit of an announcement. As you know, we all have jobs and families and cats and pets and other things, lives outside of this podcast. In this time of year, we like to prioritize those things o- over our special creative projects, like this podcast, for example, uh, especially when those projects don't bring us enough money to constitute, constitute being our actual jobs. So uh, we will be taking a break. Call it a hiatus if you want, uh, or whatever, over the winter. Call it the end of season one if you want. Um, it's been a crazy year. We've put a ton of work into this podcast over the course of that year, so we think we've earned some time off. Um, but before we go, we would like to present to you our season finale, episode 35. It's an interview with writer and organizer R.L. Stevens that we really think you'll enjoy. Um, so good, be good, be safe, have a happy holiday season, and we hope to see you all again very soon. Now, now we we cook it with gas. Okay, hold yeah. on. Okay. <laughs> this is the best quality ah, yeah, okay. Skype okay. interview. <laughs> all right, we, we're in business. All right. It helps. Okay, what's up? Not a lot. I guess it helps having a podcast guest who has also done podcasts, because most of our guests don't have mics, (laughs) so this is good. Yeah? Yeah. Yo, yeah, I'm in Brooklyn right now, actually. I'm not even at my crib. I I did bring my my mic, but it is not as good as this one. (laughs) (laughs) That that looks, is that a a sure? (laughs) Yeah, it's a sure, but it's like the shit, like. Only thing I need, I feel like this is the kind where you can hook, hook the spit guard to it. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Just drop some some raps. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. Like like it's like it's uh the basement, one hundred six in Park in like yeah. two thousand two or so. Oh, I missed that show. That oh man, great. for Hold real. On, let me eat real quick. Get in my zone. I was I was listening to Tupac a lot, um, for the last hour just on repeat. Getting ready for this thing. I'm ready. Getting ready to talk Go. to uh, two Appalachian white boys. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's, <laughs> this is everything to me right now, actually. No lie. This is oh. exactly what I've been laying low um, for the past, you know, couple months. And this is the first media shit that I've done for a minute. Nice. I haven't published anything since uh, July 30th. I haven't. I haven't talked to anybody, nothing. I'm laying low. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad you finally decided to wise up and go to the big time. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so serious. What y'all are doing is very significant. Like, very important. Like, we, I really want to get into it with you. Like, what, how you conceptualize this, what you really feel about what you're creating and the conditions in which you find yourselves now. And, like, how, like what is happening there, you know? So... Let me know how you I, want to start. I picked the wrong job. day to leave my blue book at home. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you, Dr. Stevens. Oh. No, man. No, we we appreciate you coming here. We appreciate you coming and doing it with us, for real. We uh, we love what you do. Uh, and, you know, the other day when you were tweeting out about rural, you know, I think that's something that I think uh, a lot of people in the same sphere we occupy, I feel like, uh, 
don't understand the lottery and don't really i mean it's no shade i mean i understand it but like probably don't care to understand too much and uh that that uh that meant a lot to me personally um and part of me part of lot to me yeah yeah i mean that's me this is this it's fucking real yeah (laughs) i mean we about to break into some real shit oh man this this is uh i want to hear some stories one i want to hear some stories because one i don't think i've ever been to kentucky for real i've been to tennessee but i've never been to kentucky for real probably driven through maybe but i've never been right right and uh, the closest i got is that tv show justified fam Woo, that's my shit (laughs) i've seen every episode yeah Wait, wait, wait. Uh, unless is this shit bad? Is it good? Is it bad? You tell me. Well, well is that real? What I would say is like Harlan is like the next town over from us, and uh-huh. they kind of made it look like like Lexington, Kentucky was Harlan to like the same size. I felt like right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But uh, I no, mean, it was pretty good. I've never, to be quite honest with you, I've never watched it. Um, but I do respect. I there are a lot of people whose opinions I respect who like it. And so I'm still waiting to get into it. But you need to watch this shit. The, the yeah. first like three episodes are just like it's straight up western shit. Yeah. I fucking love it. Yeah. Like they count off, they count steps. I'm blast them, boom! <laughs> <laughs> just like the shit was. Because my dad used to like cowboy movies, right? Yeah. So I used to, he would have the western channel on all the time. So then it, but it took all of those tropes and then. This this noir like it it was it was kind of tight like the shit is kind of tight. Uh, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it's funny. It's uh, it's like it's got all these like western themes and and stuff. Um, and it's funny because I'm originally from the west. I'm from New Mexico, and I moved here. Yeah. And there are a lot of similar sort of similarities and stuff. Um, in terms of like lack of just infrastructure in general, and you know what yeah. I mean. It is kind of outlaw oh, yeah, outlaw, no. outlawish in a lot of ways. Um, so it, it seems like a show that'd be right up my alley. So yeah, I've got to get it. You got okay. And, and Walter, I mean, Walter Coggins got a pretty believable accent too. Like a lot of times, like oh, he's, he's ill. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's really good, man. He's, he's, he's the real deal. Yeah. Boyd Crowder. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> um, well, RL, thanks for joining us. Um, just to all our listeners who don't know who RL is, although I'm sure there are very few of them. Um, you write for Jacobin. You've written for Viewpoint. Um, you can be found on Twitter uh, at RL is dead. That's your uh, handle. I really like. I, I was telling Tom that I really wanted to have you on for like a Halloween special, so we could do like a RL Stevens sort of like or RL Stein type thing. <laughs> you know? We were going finesse, and we didn't know what it looked like, and we were too embarrassed to ask you, quite frankly. <laughs> but, yeah. That'd be tight, man. I was, I've been, um, I've been traveling. I just moved to to uh, small town Texas to a, a town called Bryan, Texas, which is outside of College Station. Uh, Texas A&M, um, which is where yeah A and M is, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's uh, so this whole con- you know conversation that I've started having, like, I mean, it's like real life to me now. Like, it's not just in the abstract. Like, I'm looking at how do politics play out in this context and who is here, you know, like our conception of who lives here and what they're like. And it is not reality, you know? Right. Um, and uh, I've been challenging myself over the, over the past uh, year or so 
to really think through who who is we <laughs> in a sense like if we articulate if we are articulating and reorganizing and committed to a movement to build a new society who are we then not in the future but i mean now right yeah like what is happening what are the moves happening what is what is the nature of like class society now and who's living where and how is that how are the constraints of of uh the present like like hierarchy how how is that reconfiguring people like i think this really started in 2015 with that uh, Dylan Roof shooting at the at the church, and then they had this interview, and I don't know if whether it was real or not or what, but like they interviewed this black kid that lived with him, and I was like, what? Like what is this? That's like, interesting. What? I didn't know that. You didn't see this? I didn't yeah. See, it. see, I don't even know if it's real or not. I'm assuming it's real. I, it's probably real because like later on he was like, I never talked to black people. Like you lying. <laughs> <laughs> you, you fucking lying. Like. I I uh, it I don't know like what you know it, it's it's that it's Ferguson it's um it's Charlottesville like it's it's all of these places I mean obviously they're all very different you know spaces not, but but all these marginal spaces have been the anchor points for major disruptive you know explosions in this in this country over the past few years and I don't think that's a coincidence given. You know, this is the flip side of, of gentrification and the like, like where what is happening socially? What is the motion going on and where are the sites of struggle? They've always been there. You know, they've always been significant. Sure. But now that there's a, a, a recomposition of things where the suburbs is where you don't want to be like in many <laughs> cases, uh, like in, in uh, I used to live in D.C. when I was going to law school out there like, yo. PG County was not where we were trying to be. Like it was, the like where people are uh, has has shifted as far as like where the needs are, where the dislocation is, where where's the decay, where's that you were saying earlier, the lack of infrastructure and, and services. What's walkable? You know, like like I was in Houston. I was like, dang, they got white people living out here with no sidewalk. What is this? Like how? <laughs> What kind of place is Texas? Right. Like I was, I I was. It's just the ditch. Like they don't like. Is Brian a pretty rural place? I mean, it's a small town, so it's just outside of a, uh, outside of College Station, which is where Texas A and M is. Yeah. And I moved there because, <clears throat> you know, I'm dating somebody special and whatnot, <laughs> and she's a PhD student at Texas A and M. You know, right. so I was like, hey. I'm tired of this long distance thing, girl. <laughs> I'm, tired, I'm ready to get real. You know, I had to put on that, you know, yeah, you know, I had to put on that um, that brother love voice real quick. Like, hey, you know what it is. Because, you know, like, that's Puff Daddy's new name now. Y'all, Are you ever going to refer to him as brother love? I, I will call Puff Daddy Puff Daddy until he tells me to call him brother love because <laughs> just the fact that I'll be in the same room with Puff Daddy is enough for me. I'll just say his name and then he'll get mad and I'll be like, okay, it's cool, brother love. I'm sorry, I just had to say it. <laughs> but I am fully down with calling Puff Daddy brother love if that means that we get to be friends. <laughs> like Puff Daddy, Puff Daddy, Puff Daddy went to the UK, right? And he was about to buy a sports team because Puff Daddy really wants to buy a sports team. I'm sorry. <laughs> Brother Love really wants to buy a sports team, right? right? As one does. So Brother Love gets out there, right? And he's like, hey, let me get the most ballerist team possible. He doesn't try to buy Chelsea. He doesn't try to buy Manchester United. No. 
he looks to try to buy a team called Pris- Crystal Palace. Because <laughs> he thought that fashion. shit was exclusive. <laughs> Crystal Palace. That's the team that Puff Daddy wanted to buy. And then he got there and Crystal Palace is in the hood. Like this is the hood team in London, okay? He got there, he was like, fuck this shit. This, this stadium is terrible. He didn't want the hood shit. He thought it was, he thought it was Crystal. He probably thought it was Crystal Palace. Right. <laughs> it's a true story. Facts, B. Facts. <laughs> but no, Brian Texas, like... Yeah, it's more it's more diverse than I thought it was going to be. Like when I first went down there, I was like, "Yo, I went to visit her and I was like, "Oh, snap. There're going to be any black people around here." Uh, I was sweating cuz you know, I'm scared of Texas, no lie. I'm not going to lie. Like Texas, if you're from the north, like you're told do not go to Texas. Like mm-hmm. don't you you're going to die. So I get out there, right? And we're we're going to the grocery store. I go into the grocery store. I'm like, "Shit." What's going on? And then I look, I see brothers with dreadlocks. I'm like, I'm home. I'm safe. <laughs> I'm good. Okay. And there's actually, it's like majority black and Latino. Like the Texas, the demographics in Texas are quite in- interesting. Like the way it, it's a segregated state, but both like residentially as well as politically, as far as the representative right. government, gerrymandering right. and all of that. Sure. Um, but the but the actual demographics, it's it's far more diverse than I had anticipated, even in a quote unquote rural or, or small town context, which is something right. I wasn't prepared for. And that's really uh, going visiting there and like checking it out over the past few months has been something that has, uh, you know, forced me to rethink like, w- you know, what rethink what who who is the we that we are yeah. that yeah. we are fighting to become that we that we are right now that we who 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 are we trying to organize who are we trying to bring into uh into the who who are we trying to make the 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 bedrock of this society that we want to to that we say exists that we say we we want to bring into into meaning like into into meaningful uh political into a meaningful political reality how who is that really and uh you know this this has been a journey for me to to to, to rethink that and to and and the and to begin to really question what is political leadership really um given like like what what is like what is what is what is incarceration in Kentucky for example you know like this is something that intrigues me like where the majority of the prisoners are white yeah you know like you have both like the 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 demographics of Kentucky, like in, in prisons, right? You've got black people are eight percent of the population, but they're twenty nine percent of the prison population. Okay, so you got a racial disparity. Cool. We are we are aware that racial disparities are typically how we measure racism in this country. So all right, you got a disparity. But at the same time, sixty four, sixty six percent of the prison population in Kentucky is white. Right, right, and that's so. That's a still a strong majority, even though it's not you know consistent with the the civilian population, which is eighty six percent white. That's still a ton of people. So many right. people, in fact, that if Kentucky were uh, a country, it would have the seventh highest incarceration rate in the world. That's wow. wild. It's fucking wild. Yeah, yeah, we. It's this is a topic that's kind of of uh you know kind of. Well, it's topical because uh, in the county we live in, Letcher County, uh, 
is the only proposed federal prison in the federal pipeline right now that they want to build here. And it would make the eighth in our congressional district, which is also, as Terrence mentioned, the poorest in the country. Like dead last in every quality of life measure. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Y'all got eight federal prisons in your district? They're not all federal. They're not all federal. We have like yeah. four, I think this would be the fourth federal prison, I believe, in our congressional district. And then we have um yeah, it's it's been a sort of like very slow and incremental. But you know, there was this huge rural prison construction in the '90s, late '90s and early 2000s. Well, as mountaintop removal, um, you know, advanced, and um, you know, as that mechanization happened, more people lost jobs, but more land was you know created for development. They started um, using prisons as a sort of economic transition. Um, for a lot of these rural communities. For, these... for folks that don't know mountaintop removal, coal mine is when they just blow the mountaintops off to get the coal out. Right, right. And so, yeah, there was a huge prison boom in the 90s and early 2000s. And, you know, it's not just eastern Kentucky and, you know, southwest Virginia. You know, there's a lot of places, you know, where I grew up. It's everywhere. Every state. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, but you were saying we're in New Mexico. I want to hear this. What New Mexico? How are they doing it? How are they? How are they uh, doing what exactly? Uh, building prisons or? <laughs> yeah, where are they? Where are they? What's it look like there? Like they're put. It's all rural or is it suburban? Like where are they putting them? And are there fights over building them in your area? Like what? What's it look like? Yeah, no, actually, in New Mexico, it's really it's really fucked up because. The prisons that they're building in those areas um, are mostly used, they're private prisons, and they're mostly used to um, put um, immigrants in, um, undocumented immigrants, and a lot of them, it's real, you know, it's really fucked up because a lot of them house children. They put children in these things, you know, they're locking kids up. And it's big, it's, you know, that's, a, that's a, also the thing in Texas. And it's interesting that you mentioned that about, like, the demographics in Texas surprise you. I mean, I honestly... You know, and I'm probably just preaching to the choir here, but, you know, the masses in a lot of these places, I think, are are much farther to the left than the people governing them. Um, and you you almost have a very autocratic situation because places like Texas are so gerrymandered and now Kentucky and depending on who wins the governor election, governorship election in Virginia, a lot of these places, they're so fucking gerrymandered that, um, yeah, people, there is no representation. You know, people actually, they're, they're far, they're much farther to the left of the people governing them, but they have absolutely no, um, vehicle or way to challenge. And that is the challenge now. That's what excites me. You know, like that, when I've been questioning what is political leadership, it is to answer that call. Like that, that is, that is what we are trying to do. You know, like, like we have an issue where the, the language or the articulation put forward by the so-called left has no basis in reality that we, ju- especially what we just talked about, right? Like the reality is across this rural urban division, we have to confront that to even dig at this issue of prison because the prisons that are being built are out by y'all, you know? And so they're taking these people 
either from like the the the, the, the now like a Ferguson situation or but traditionally like the urban core and transporting them to upstate New York or whatever <laughs> like and this is this is the economy the circulation of it so how do you measure the racism is it merely in the disparity between eight percent and twenty nine percent or do you look at the economy of uh, of the 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 trafficking of these people and the the the, the separation the the brutality waged against them and the um, um, containment mechanisms that are created to 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 put these people in these spaces and where are these spaces you know and like how do we organize in such a way that attacks both contexts you know because that those are the divisions so like if you say we want to cut prisons right and you don't do and you don't lead across these this division of rural and urban then you're saying then they can go out to the to the rural area yo they're about to just cut your jobs it's a wrap and you have no mechanism to engage these people no not just not just in terms of organization but i mean a political horizon in which they constitute the we that is the that is, that is the vehicle the who gets to be politically heard and relevant and 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 they and they subject in the political order that is the that is the principal question that we have to ask and like that's that's like what's mind blowing what does that mean what do i mean by that that's just like a lot of words it could it could seem like what what i mean is uh you're talking about when when the left talks about prison they say it's black but when we've had this conversation just now we've said it's black it's undocumented immigrants which are all kinds of people um it's white people in these rural areas who it's it's all none of this is you cannot essentialize it in such a fashion you have to tell the truth about how this society recomposes itself which racism is a component of it for sure but the way that we talk about that racism doesn't actually capture the motion of all the people which are all involved in it you know across all of those divisions racism is relational it's not static and and that's that's the issue yeah no that's an interesting point and um and it actually gets at something that you've written before um i think it was in the jacobin article about walter scott about um about Mm -hmm. how I think what you said was racism is is uh, class politics in motion, um, and I thought a lot about that. Like when um, when what you were just saying is that how um, if we're not rooting these discussions in political economy, then yes, then it does lead to essentialization. You know what I'm saying? I, I guess that's kind of the mm-hmm. that's kind of my takeaway from that. Yeah, I mean, I've been exploring what do, I just think, yo. I'm, I'm gonna keep it real. Like I kind of see sometimes when I'm writing things, like I feel like a rapper. Like <laughs> race is class politics in motion. I know what that. I know what I'm trying to say with that. But I mostly like it because it sounds hot as fuck to me. Like I think that's like <laughs> an ill line. Like when I wrote that, I was like, damn, yeah. boom. Yeah. Race is class politics in motion. But what does that mean, dog? Like. <laughs> <laughs> what does that really mean, you know? And that's been my, sh- that's the struggle that I've been engaged in intellectually, uh, politically, is what do I mean when I'm saying that, because that article was an attempt to articulate a class-based understanding of racism. Not mm, to, because I, I believe that, that breaking these things apart is dumb. Like, like I'm, I'm saying like, what is class society if not for the subjugation of women? What is class society if not for 
the 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 oppression, the national oppression of black people. What does right. how does it work? Like I'm not saying that it's always the case all over the world that that's those are the terms, not necessarily. I mean, the question of women, that's a different, you know, I think yeah. But right. when we're talking about right. racism, like the these the the national oppression of black people in this country is part of the recomposition of class society. And like my mm-hmm. my beef with how we talk about these things is like if we separate if we separate it out as being special and i don't mean special as in terms of significant i mean special as in peculiar or distinct right. Right. um you you can't do that because it's relational because without like what is the transatlantic slave trade without feudalism in europe like right. that that is the context from which this shit emerged. So how do you be, how, you cannot separate it. You cannot treat it as, 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 as independent. And, 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 and so the struggle for me is how do we talk about that in the here and now? How, and how do we do so in a way that articulates a vision that allows us to be, bring forth, to speak into existence, new political identities that yeah. say, no, I'm not, not that I'm anti-racist, and then have an argument over like what you know who's the real anti-racist no like <laughs> like right. no i don't want to have that argument you know what i want to have i want to speak into being a new political reality with whole new subject positions that contest fundamentally what it means to be a human participating in this in society like that's what i'm saying so like was Heather Hayer, for example, like I went out to Charlottesville uh, the, the week, like a few, a couple days after the attack happened, right? right. Is Heather Hayer an anti-racist? Like who, who was she, really? You know, we have this white woman who graduated high school, didn't go to college, had low self-esteem, didn't really believe in herself, struggled, came, she came out of a trailer park, okay? She, she, she was a bartender, and then she she talked to this guy and she the guy was like, yo, you should become a paralegal. She becomes a paralegal at this firm that has a lot of black people in it. She, she had a lot of black friends. She breaks up. This was spoken at, at the memorial for her. I don't know if you all heard this, but she uh, meets with her boss after work late at night and her boyfriend's in the car. He's white. She says bye to the boss and they hug each other. She gets in the car. The boyfriend's like, who is that? You have a black boss Ugh. something like that she breaks up with this dude that night dumps his ass <laughs> is she is that did she like give i'm an anti-racist like what is this really like what is going on you know like what what did that the the language the what i was saying like the articulation of our concepts and 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 subject positions right now is so out of out of touch with what what the terms are in life where you were saying earlier, like how, what are the vehicles for, 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 for mobilizing a different politic? Well, I say that that different politics starts with a different language and a different political leadership on what the problems are. And Mm -hmm. number two, who we are. Yeah. And that right now who we are is totally locked into this kind of, uh, false conflicts like be, between like a, a a neoliberal order that in no way will pose a legitimate uh, uh resistance and 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 threat to a rising fascist tide globally where resources are are 
being being fought over. I'm talking about water and stuff. Like yeah, the, there's this, this capitalist thing, class thing is in crisis globally on multiple fronts. And these the, the, basically, you know, we got Donald Trump in there the, fiddling. Okay, the political class <laughs> is in total disarray. And who who will we be? Meaning, more specifically, who will step into the void? So that's the socialism or barbarism question. Right, but it ha- right. it's anchored on us now. Yeah. But you're right, and you've mentioned this before. Um, it's about, like, building... Um, it's about building capacity for the poor and dispossessed to actually run society. Like, that's what we're talking about here. <clears throat> yeah. You know, and, and, and it is sort of, and again, you've said this before, too, and I think it's actually topical because, you know, we're a year out from the election, uh, literally a year, um, and we're having this gubernatorial election in Virginia and all this. Um, you know, it's almost myopic to say like Bernie would have won. You you said that yourself, um, because like that's not even what we're what's at stake here. That's not even what the issue is here. The issue is like we're trying to get to, yeah, uh, uh, um, we're trying to get to a situation that the poor and the dispossessed and the marginalized can actually challenge um, this. Uh, yeah, the, you know, the oligarchy and all this. Not not just challenge it in the streets and in the workplace, but run a society. You know what I'm saying? Allocate resources, yeah. distribute resources equally with um, you know, you know, with justice and all these other things we talk about. Yeah, I think here's you know I'm rethinking everything right now. You know, I so Bernie Sanders wins. This is obviously like an insurgent campaign. I think like. Yes, there is corruption, but number two, like strategically, it was going to be very difficult for him to win. And I think the campaign was structured in a way that limited his potential. Uh, Like not just because the DNC was corrupt, but also, you know, the way that his campaign was structured. And particularly in the South, particularly in place in all all these different types of places. And and uh, uh, that that we tend not to think about, you know, these these places that that we tend not to engage and um, so, but that doesn't, but my, my criticism of the Sanders phenomenon and its limitations does not mean that I don't think that it's part of the elevation of the relevant question of who are we as a people and who gets to participate in not just the, the leading of society in, at a point in the future, but in the now, because that is what the Nazis are putting forward, and Sanders allowed people to articulate themselves in a different way, a particularly a class of petty bourgeois, and I speak as a self, self-identified self petty bourgeois motherfucker, so it's not, I'm not trying to diss, but this is significant in that this layer, which constitutes a major element within DSA, for example, of which like I'm, a, I'm an elected leader, it allowed a different, a distinct articulation of self. That's what created. That's what created the waves in the DSA. It's not that DSA organized to create this this bump before. No, it's that Sanders created a new articulation, which has found a home in this organization in part. And I think the challenge for us now is okay. What does this mean going forward to prepare not just for a social welfare state? some sort of Keynesian model, 
but for the question that you're bringing up right here, who gets to lead this society? And on what terms and into what future? I want to fight for the future. So when I say that Bernie Sanders is looking at Bernie would have won is myopic. I'm not fighting for the past. I'm fighting for the future. Based in the now. Okay. And what is happening now? Our members got hit by by the car of a fascist in August. I go there. I see the, I see Real trauma in the aftermath of a fascist terror attack. That's what I saw. People were shook to their cores. And yet, the example of this woman, Heather, allowed through the memorial in particular, people to articulate a different who we are. That was what was happening in the demonstration. It wasn't, it wasn't a protest. This is a demonstration of power against the, the right. demonstration of right. power by the Nazis. The Nazis came through Charlottesville, walked through the University of Virginia with the torchlights Friday night. They tried to kill people that night in Charlottesville, Virginia, on, on the college campus. They tried to burn people alive. Okay, this is what people told me when I was down there, right? And, and um, Saturday happens where they face off against them in the streets. This is, these are violent clashes with the, with the new articulation that this shall not stand. Right now, there was a huge uh, um, coalition of people. It wasn't just like anti-fascists per se, or like the activist class, but it was also like people who lived there, like in a uh, in Charlottesville, who like were like, "This is not the town I want to be part of." There were also people from the projects. Yo, my favorite story from this whole thing was um, the Nazis tried Mm -hmm. to run into the projects, and gangbangers were like, "Nope." And they pulled out the yapper and they said, y'all are not coming in here. And they, and they were reinforced by protesters, like demonstrators. So there were armed people, unarmed people facing off against armed Nazis. Police not doing shit. Okay. And right, that's wow. who prevented the Nazis from going into this project um, and, and, and messing up the people. And, but here's the thing. And this is, this is the challenge, right? So we have established who we are being, meaning we will not allow overt fascist, uh, 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 action to take place on the streets in a, in a demonstration. And what that means is we won't let you run up in the projects on some race war type shit. Okay, Mm -hmm. cool. Excellent. This is great. But this same project, has been set aside for redevelopment into like mixed income housing, which is gonna gut the poor people that poor black people that right, live right. there. Yeah. And it's all authorized by the city and the police. So who are we really? So fascists run in, that's bad. The cops run in to evict all these people. <laughs> that's okay. Right. 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 That's that's the question that's on the table now. Yeah, because uh, especially relevant when you have a Donald Trump in office, when you have proto fascists making waves in in a in a in the representative government, which is what is happening in Europe, in in Germany in particular, all over the place, the far right fascists are achieving legitimacy at levels that I have not seen in my lifetime. So who are we going to be? Yeah. And it also happens when um, you have a, a Democratic Party uh, sort of that 
because it can't take a firm stand against any of this, like the evictions, the mixed income housing, and all this that you're saying, that creates a window for the fascists to implement their vision of the world. Um, and so, mm-hmm. yeah, it, yeah, no, it, 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 um, it redefines. It it should be redefining for anybody who calls themselves an activist or a leftist or or wants to to see the world a better, more egalitarian place. It should be redefining their conceptions of who they are, um, in terms of do I want a a, a a future that works just a little bit nicer, that is just a little bit um, you know the banks are just a little bit nicer, and then and, and um, you know we redistribute income a little, or or do we want a total upending of the order and 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 having the poor and dispossessed and et cetera running society and you know we're a hundred years yeah. literally this this week we're a hundred years uh, out from the bolshevik revolution and i think it's a it's a it is a uh, question that is i'm glad you brought that up let's talk about that for for like a second like yo what are we trying to do here for real like who are we try- like i said who are we trying to be because like i mean yo Woo! There's so much to be said about that particular issue, but let, let's set it aside for a moment here. Let, walk with me here for a second. Part, why I keep bringing up who are we, right? And I'm talking to two white boys in Kentucky, right? And I'm telling, I told you before we started recording that I think what you're doing is the shit, okay? Part of, here's part of why though, right? Part of why I think this is incredible goes back to, uh, like I, I don't want to just criticize so-called um, identitarianism, which I think is is chauvinism essentially. Like I think we use the wrong language to talk about this stuff. Like we shouldn't see identity politics, whatever. Actually, it's just like chauvinism, like this concern for yourself and like you know this essentialism and blah 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 blah. So what does because it doesn't leave us with a, a a definition of self, a political subjectivity that is capable of standing and rising to the challenge of the crisis in society, both now and in the future. And what I mean by that is look at who can white people be under the current, as we articulate political subjects now, who are they able to be? And when this movie came out like last year, um, the, the, the Free State of Jones, right? And I thought, I haven't seen it. Shame on me. I haven't seen the movie. I've been reading articles about it. Ain't watched the shit. But the Matthew McConaughey movie, right? In Alabama, Jones County, you know, all this stuff. This, this cross, cross-racial uh, uh, alliance and rebellion against the, you know, this, these Confederates and, all, you know, blah, 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 blah. It are, here's what I found was interesting, though. Not from the, this isn't a commentary on the film itself, but it, rather in the, the circulation of the film and how it calls to question this, this idea. Who are we? So it allowed, there was an article that came out and there was this white man uh, in Alabama who said, I fucking hate being from the South and a white man. What do I have to be proud of for real? And this movie for the first time in my life gave me pride in being white and from the South on legitimate grounds. Like this is, this is who I am right here, right? It gave, it, this movie opened up space for him to think about this question. And what I'm saying we need to do politically is provoke the same kind of space, which is not what we're doing now. Because like, look, 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 lookity, lookity, fucking look. The reality here is white people are the majority. The other reality is 
petty bourgeois layers are essential for any revolutionary movement. Period. You even want to look at the, the black ones. Who is Toussaint Louverture? Fuck. Who is Nat Turner? The motherfucker could read. As far as the slaveocracy goes, he's, he's, he's up there. He was in the house. Okay. Like he could read. So this, pause for a moment. This is what, one of the things I don't like about Malcolm X. Like, I love this dude. Love him. But when he talks about the field Negro and the house Negro, and he, I'm like, yo, the motherfucking house slaves was killing crackers. What are you talking about? Nat Turner was a house slave. Like, what are you doing? Anyway, I, what, what I'm saying is, what I'm really saying here is that the, when we get revolution, when we get this, this thing that allows for a different leading, a different constitution of society, are we fighting for the political order of the U.S. Constitution or are we fighting for something else? Who are we as citizens? What does that mean? Like when we put that question to the test, really, white people do some interesting things. So <laughs> like John Brown, for example, I was, talk I was talking to a homie. I'm here in New York talking and, and really like just training up. I've, I've, I, I, I'm, I'm rethinking everything, right? That's why I was really excited to do this interview with you because I'm in a new position now. I'm thinking, this is this new <laughs> shit. I'm on a new level like Future and ASAP Ferg. I'm, I'm back in the game. I'm ready to go. Let's get it, okay? Because this is what I'm thinking now, man. I'm fucking, my mind is open. I'm, I'm thinking new <laughs> thoughts. John Brown, right? What, what is happening in Kansas at this time? Free soil movement. This is fucking settler colonialism, okay? John Brown is a settler, white settler. But he believed that black people were what? People of God just like him. Okay? He was not some Marxist. He wasn't. But he was a revolutionary. Right. And what made him a revolutionary? What created him as that political subject that took him from a mere white settler, you know, fucking devil, cracker, Yakubian. Like, what took him <laughs> from this shit? Melanin challenged. And made him into a, ma a revolutionary who went to war before the state even would against the institution of slavery. That's what we're talking about here. Like, how do we create these subjects that see themselves not as what the system ascribes them to be, white settler or petty bourgeois, you know, but, but, but choose to varying degrees on the spectrum. So you have the John Brown example. You also have the Lincoln example, who yeah. chose to identify the way that his father treated him in, in, in made him work for free and said what the fuck how could you ex I, this shit was shitty for me working for my daddy for free who kept all my motherfucking money imagine being a fucking slave <laughs> fuck this shit this petty bourgeois motherfucker says this right now if if right. if, if abraham lincoln were today comparing like working for free at a law office or whatever to slavery he'd get ripped to shreds this shit would not be allowed to be discussed, right? But this motherfucker sent Grant and Sherman to get them boys and burn this motherfucker <laughs> to the ground, which is the only reason why I'm sitting here able to talk to you today. Fuck this shit that's going on right now. I want these new posi subject positions. I want to know who are we, okay? I want to open up what is possible politically, for this petty bourgeois class, like myself, like y'all, like who are we going to be and how are we going to be in solidarity with the poor and dispossessed moving in a revolutionary motion? And that's what the Bolsheviks answered. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's what that was about. Who are we? And that's why they put a bullet in the back of Rose's brain and Carl 
And motherfuckers don't want to talk about this shit, <laughs> but we need to be real about what this sock them social democratic stuff yeah. can be. What oh, this yeah, can right. look like. Yeah. We need to be real. Yeah. What what are we who are we? That's what I'm saying. That's the question. You know, because people don't like when I talk this shit. <laughs> they don't like when I talk this revolutionary <laughs> shit. But I'm not hiding that shit. Because what you said was the masses of the people, right? Are to the left, not just of the people governing them in a formal capacity, uh-huh. but to the left of the people who say that they are the champion of the marginalized and oppressed. They're to the left of them. But how do we create this new, the, how do we provoke this new subject position, this questioning of who we are? How do we, how do we create more Heather Hayers, more Trayvon Martins, more people that actually take a stand right now and through that bring into, uh, uh, provoke a new, new world? That's what these people did. Trayvon was just a little boy who said, what you following me for? Bow, you know, pop this fool. But yet, the way that we choose to remember him is as a, a kid that was just totally passive, victimized completely by George Zimmerman, never took a stand. No, fuck that. Trayvon Martin went out on two feet. Trayvon Martin resisted. He fought. And it's important to, to recognize that. Why do we have to present black people as dead? <laughs> Especially men. Why do they have to be dead to be respected or, or, or worthy? And then even if the circumstances of them dying is such, in what, is it, like in Trayvon's case, he resisted and he was murdered. Like, why do we have to erase that resistance? Who are we? Or as you've written before, <clears throat> if not dead, inanimate. Like, uh, yeah. you know, as bodies or, or whatever. Yeah, the coats thing, yeah. And, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it is a rhetorical issue, but it does hint at, um, yeah, the way we've uh, sort of situated these people in the political economy itself. Who gets excluded, you know? And, and like, so that's what I'm saying when I'm talking about this social dem- so. Part two, I was supposed to drop part two of this article, right? And it's been very difficult for me to write because I, I lacked a degree of political clarity to articulate exactly what, what is the positive vision that I'm laying out. So I critique Coates and I say, okay, this Afro-pessimism stuff in which uh, the racial subjugation of black people is viewed as distinct from class society and therefore somehow essential to the character of black people and their relationship to white people, which... He, they view as this libidinal arrangement where white people see the black flesh and they're like, oh, I want to fuck it and they want to dominate it. Like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, there were no white people in Africa when this slave shit started. Like, what? And what? I don't mean there were no Europeans or anything. I mean, there were no white people. Okay, like, the, what is race? When did it? Where did it come from and when? Like, that. let's really talk about this. And But, the, you know, I, I, I cast that aside. I say, this is whack. This pessimism stuff is whack. The way Coates is looking at black people and the and the and the question of liberation this is whack and it's totally liberal and it's like i'm not fucking with it but part two and what i'm trying to dig at is that articulation of who are we then you know like so in the con so so coates is right in saying that uh bernie sanders redistributive policies will not in fact deal with racism fundamentally that's true like but 
what I challenge, what I'm, what I'm digging at, or what I'm thinking through is just because uh, a, a program that he identifies as a class-based remedy, you know, just because that class-based remedy is insufficient, does not, in fact, mean that class struggle itself is, 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 is invalid. And so, yes, like I fundamentally, I do believe that social democracy is insufficient for dealing with this fundamental, these fundamental questions of the liberation of women, the, 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 the oppression of black people. And because in these, in these European countries in which it exists more profoundly, the, 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 the proletariat, the, 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 the is externalized. Who, who is brought into these places to do this kind of subjugated work? You know, it's not Norwegians. <laughs> Why are they so pissed at these migrants? <laughs> you know, like who are the migrants? What are they doing in these countries? You know, who are we? Okay, what are the dynamics here? Like it's it, it goes beyond the mere redistributive policy for the who gets defined as a citizen or resident. Like what are the dynamics? What's relationally going on here? And that I believe is insufficient for the task at hand in which fascism's on the rise and they have a clear articulation of who we are they say national socialism and they say we are us they are them get the fuck out or die and this shit is for us not you so they look at that white man in the south who had nothing to be proud of before he saw this movie and they say you know what you got to be proud of the subjugation of these barbaric fucking niggers and spicks and uh, that's what they say or on the flip side they come in and they say in black communities, you know who you got, these fucking Mexicans coming in. Blah, blah, blah. The reactionaries across the board are Oregon on the move through prisons, through streets, through where all over the place in government. And they know who we are, quotation marks. But do, do we out here talking this shit about, you know, we're going to get this policy or that policy and triangulate this way and it, fuck that. The people in the street, like you said, they want something. They want a break, a rupture, not just in the present order of things, but in who they get to be. And that's what we got to provide, that kind of leadership, that kind of vision. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We have to provide that kind of vision, and we have to provide provide it in a way that shows that it's tangible. And, um, like, for example, like... Um, one of the best parts of the French Revolution is um, after the Bastille falls, but before, um, and, and, you know, and the king, uh, Louis, and uh, Marie Antoinette have, like, run, and they're hiding in their house or whatever, and the people are, like, um, the people walk, like, 60 miles. They're led by women, you know, they're and they're, I can't remember, the they walk to mm -hmm. the town where they're, they're holed up at. And they just invade the king's residence. They just literally, they walk in, they said, this isn't going to fucking do, you know, like, we need bread, we need uh, resources, we need all these other things. And it's because for a brief moment, they can see that um, a break is possible and that, and that all of the things around them have been thrown into question the legitimacy of everything. And it's interesting that you, um, you put, you, uh, provide the, uh, you give the example of that white Southerner who saw that movie. Um, and another task of ours is showing, um, and you talked a little bit about it again in those Walter Scott article is that, um, 
racism actually is materially detrimental to uh, white people. It's re- to materially, uh, in, in, in not just in the case of welfare and all this, but also incarceration. Like earlier you mentioned, 60% of white people in prison. And, like, and, and you gotta work in a fucking jail? What kind of job is that? This shit is trash. Y'all got four, four, you said four jails? You wanna work there? Hell nah. Like, so, like, that's how they sell that shit to us, though. Like, yeah, it's, right. they're, they're talking about it like they're building a goddamn SeaWorld or something. Like, you yeah. know, like right. some sort of amusement park. Right. right. What is that? That's the question. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. the question. So get beyond this anti-racist articulation, but get into that. Right. Do you want to, how do you, who do you want to be? You yeah. want to be a, co- a corrections officer? Now, keep in, keep in mind, one of the, one of the uh, most, a disproportionate number. I think it's somewhere around twenty-four percent or something of all correction or yeah, of all correction officers are black. So it ain't just white people doing this, right? You, you know, like it's a it's this whole it's a it's an economy of us, okay? And like that's why we put out this prison abolition thing, this police and prison abolition, which like you know I don't, I don't work at Jacobin anymore, by the way, but my former colleagues at Jacobin. Like, oh, this is a maximalist demand. You know, this is this is this is deranged. I knew you were taking <laughs> some shit for that. What you said? Uh, what you took, say? I you said that you said everybody in prison's a political prisoner, and I knew you. Oh yeah, Lee Fong and the boys really took exception to that. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> fuck them. Listen, when you begin to break down, what is prison, and what are the narratives and affective? Uh, what what are the affects in circulation? All right, this is an article that that uh, that you know my partner and I had been working on for a while, right? It's about this this prison abolition thing. Like, what what is the economy of violence, and what is what is that affectively? Because that's what we need to get into. When I'm asking this question of who we are, that's both that, that's partially an affective question because I'm talking about uh, a feeling, okay? The yeah. feeling that provoked marching on the king. Okay, right. like the fe- feelings were involved in this, just as feelings are involved in the. They're a cons- They are a constitutional force. They they make things right. Like fear, okay, is the is the ground is the anchor point for the economy of violence in which prisons are and police are are the default social response mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. The, the crisis of capitalism in this country yeah, and you right. cannot do even the most tepid of social democratic reforms without confronting head-on this issue of police and prison violence okay and so like there's this example that we use in the article that hasn't come out yet but i'm a, i told you i got new shit okay new <laughs> level i'm coming I'm, I, this is very ex- I, I, we're still working on it but but it's an it's an example that i want to give of like what, why this question of who we are is relevant and that, you know, the affective element is, is essential. All right. And, and why it's worth saying the political horizon includes the abolition of police and prisons and that this is not some deranged maximalist shit, but it is a, it is a necessary component operationalizing who we are in the here and sure, now. Sure. And if you can't get down with this, then how the fuck? Are you going to be down with the revolution <laughs> to shift the social terrain that defines exactly. everyday reality for the yeah. masses of people, including your ass? Okay, <laughs> right. so let's get down and break down what is really going on here affectively. So prison break. Did you see this in Alabama? Again, the South. I'm talking about the South. Okay, we need to talk about the South. 
We need to talk about Kentucky. We need to talk about Alabama. Okay, we need to talk about Texas. Okay, anyway, Prison Break, Alabama, right? Right. Now, you think Prison Break, Alabama, you think it's a bunch of brothers out. Nope. It's a bunch of white boys get out. And shit's real. Okay? <laughs> news bulletin, news flash. Crazy ass inmates on the loose. <clears throat> Everybody panic. Okay, this is what the this is what the, the news says, right? Right, right, right. Yo, tell this is what they say to keep safe, okay? What you think the cops tell everybody after they say like these these lunatic inmates are, are free, they're violent criminals are on the loose. What you think they say? They think, you know, we're gonna we're gonna occupy every street corner and we are gonna we are keep we will protect you. No, they don't say that shit. You know what they say? Turn on the back light. Turn on turn on the porch light. That'll keep you safe. Yeah. We'll take care of it. What the fuck? This is literally the type of shit that you tell a a three year old right. to keep the boogeyman away. Okay, right. this shit is right. about fear. Okay, like and so and they and they want you to be afraid in order yeah. to justify containment and brutality, which is racialized but not exclusively racial, right. to deal with the criminal because we believe that violence is individualized captured in the in the body of the criminal who only needs to be beaten murdered and locked away in order to in keep the rest of us safe and this logic is the fascist logic because that's exactly i i have this paragraph in there where i'm talking about this is this is what this isn't this is this is this is this is normal and it's fascist it's fascistic because Dylan Roof, when you read his manifesto, he's talking about segregation as serving, de jure segregation as serving a similar function, not to keep us safe, not just safe from violence, but safe from degradation into blackness. It's all tied together. And like, so this fear of violence, which is legitimate, no one wants to be violated right. physically. Like, it's horrible. It's legitimate fear. Yeah. But, the economy itself is it, it reproduces itself through this circulation of violence, which is in part like physical, but also affective through the circulation of fear of violence, which is, like I said, a constitutive force. So you get laws like criminal law. That's the first thing I really that I really took to heart when I was in law school was how do criminal laws get made? This is some bullshit. Oh, man, this is some bullshit, the way that criminal laws get made. Some shit happens, motherfuckers get scared, and they're like, oh, shit, write a fucking law to right. deal with that shit. Don't want that again. These motherfuckers, uh-uh. And they just panic, and then the state just creates more containment and brutality to deal because it's the state violence, the, 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 the violence of containment and brutality through police and prisons is the same as the nightlight, okay? Because right. it doesn't fucking work. Okay. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the econ with the actual violence. It has to do with the the fear of violence and the and its circulation effectively in our in our in our society. And that's why the question of who we are, are we people that get afraid and rely on the brutality and containment of police to deal with that with the crisis of capitalism or are we different? Do we take on this issue of violence which is localized it's intensely local. It's intensely interpersonal. It's not, so you can't, obviously you cannot take on the question of police and prisons in a macro sense only. Like, right. Clearly. 
We have to take up the lives of the people, though, that experience violence. It's violence is real. Just because the fear of just because the fear of violence is this easily manipulated force doesn't mean that violence itself doesn't happen. It does. But the left, quote unquote, does not take this up as a subject because the question of who we are, who is part of us, is so limited in scope. So, of course, like in Chicago, on the west side and the south side, they're not us. They're not who we are. Let's just talk about some disproportional, you know, trickle-down shit for them. They're not us, though. And that's what I want to challenge, you know. And that's, that, it's not about left and right continuums. Like, this is about who gets to be us and to lead society, you know, ultimately. Just this notion that that is a maximalist demand just doesn't, I don't know, it's just, I find it repugnant in a lot of ways, but mostly just on a moral level. It's like, we do this uh, program here at the radio station where we take, um, we take phone calls from uh, family members of, um, because we're so remote and rural, um, and we've got a blue million prisons, and we've got a blue like, million in right. our broadcast area. We've got a lot of prisons in our broadcast area. Um, a lot of the family members of incarcerated people live in places like Richmond and Roanoke, and you know Hampton uh, Roads, Eastern Virginia, and, and you know hell, we even get got people calling from Baltimore and New York. But we take phone calls of fa- people calling in for these um, prisoners, and I've been doing it for five years, and and you know just getting to know these people and getting to know the prisoners in turn. It's just like. Just on a on a moral level, like that, you could just say that like that's a maximalist demand. I I don't know. I think it's totally accurate to say that they're all political prisoners in some way or another because we create the conditions for um for for them to um I don't know uh, react and and to um I don't know like you said criminal law and all these other things like. It's a political process that puts them exactly. there. The, the fact of their exactly. existence there is political. Like it's all, it's, it's, it's quintessentially political. Yes, there are obviously people who are imprisoned for their political acts or beliefs in an, in an, uh, in an organizing sense. Like they organize in a political way in which the state doesn't like, or the ruling class more particularly doesn't like, and so they become imprisoned or murdered or whatever. That's a real phenomenon. Yes, let's respect that element. But we cannot respect that element to the detriment of accuracy as it relates to the overall system itself, which is fucking political. And it, it is necessary for, populate, for, for these, these others, in quotation marks, that are relegated to, not, at best, menial labor, labor, but mostly like redundant. Like the number of people between 25 and 54 who are completely outside the workforce, that, that, those people are at record numbers, okay? Those are, those, that is the working age, 25 to 54. We have record numbers of people in that block out of work. Record numbers. All, what was that report that came out that said 94% of the jobs created in the last 10 years, this, this fucking temporary shit, totally precarious and insecure types of jobs that provide no meaningful basis for life. Mm-hmm. 94% of, these jo- of the jobs created are that. Working at the gap like I used to. Okay? Like that's the reality, right? So are they us? That's the question. 
right? Are we designing it? So if you say that's a maximalist demand, and then you say, oh, let's not compare this to ending slavery. You know what was the maximalist thing underpinning the, the, the abolition movement to end slavery? All these motherfuckers are human. Right. Mm-hmm. I am a human being is a maximalist position. Right. The ultimate maximalist position. Even today, these people are human beings locked away for the perpetuation of capitalism and necessarily so. And who are we going to be in relation to the everyday motion of capitalist crisis today? Are we going to be people that say it's okay? They're not us. Or are we going to say, I am them. We are in this. And that's the struggle. That's what Heather Heyer did. I don't give a fuck about this. Like, what, what, what the, um, did she do that? I don't know. Well, I don't know. How does she feel about Lennon? Like, what? (laughs) Real talk, Heather Heyer, this high school grad who, like I said, didn't go to college, you know, this white woman. When she was working at that law firm, I interviewed a guy who was a heroin addict who went into her, like she had a relationship with this uh, nonprofit and he went in to, to meet with her to help him be able to sort out his life financially so that he could stay in uh, an apartment, which allowed him to kick, the, uh, kick heroin, which he then became a drug counselor, helping other homeless people get off the streets and get off drugs and find stable, stable living situations. That's who Heather Heyer was. She didn't get out there in the streets by accident. Okay, right. you know? Mm-hmm. And there's a whole force of people out here that want to be that want to be who they can be who they feel they want to be who how they feel about this they feel something is wrong you people listening to this show feel that something is wrong and we're talking about shit that nobody else is talking about really I'm listening to you talking about you getting calls from people, families. of That shit is tight as fuck. Like prison's not tight, but the fact that like <laughs> you're getting these calls that this is part of right. the we for you. Right. That this is how you're, th- this affects how you're thinking politically. That is significant. That is the choice that we want to pose. That's the, the that is, that is the, 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 that, that is the leadership, political leadership that we want to cultivate and develop. And that in circles that that is about fundamentally the question of who gets to be us. Mm-hmm. The Nazis got a clear answer. Do we? I don't think so. And like that's the problem because we keep arguing in the context of fascists versus fucking liberals, and we haven't actually put down raised the banner for us. For a true, not fuck maximalism. I'm talking universal. How are you going to be talking about universal demands and you say fuck maximalist demands? <laughs> right. Are you universal class-based shit and you saying, oh, that's just maximalist? What the fuck? The shit is called universe. <laughs> that's the core. That's the core word in the shit. Universe. Universal. What you talking about? Pretty maximalist to me. Straight backs, B. What you talking about? So like. That really goes into the question of the particularities, because what I've been saying in the criticism of Coates is that what I'm saying is the particular, the particularity of racism has to be unified with the universal. You got to unify the particular and the universal. So if you break down, what are the particularities? What is the line that they're really drawing when they're saying that prison is okay? Basically, who are they saying 
is not us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And like how, and, and is that affirming what's happening now? Is it subverting it? Is it a right. creating a rupture for people to articulate a new type of being or not? And I think like, that's why I said, like I might be critical of Sanders, but Sanders allowed a new articulation of being for people. One of the people right. on the Praxis slate that I ran with is uh, Bernie Krat. You know, ran with for the for for those that the D, uh, Democratic Socialists of America. I'm on the National Political Committee. I ran with a slate called Praxis. We pulled in people from Tennessee, o- Oklahoma, North Dakota, Alaska. I was living in Chicago. Ravi was living in New York. But the person from Tennessee, Allie, she came through. Uh, she was a, a delegate for Bernie Sanders at the convention. She's she's so tight, y'all. Like she lived in the South for forever, yeah. right? She lives in Knoxville, and so you know what I'm calling for isn't an ultra leftism, right? I'm not saying like I'm not right. saying I, no, it's not ultra leftism. What I'm saying is call to question the the relevant contradictions. So that is not a, a call for puritanism. Instead, it's a call to relationship. It's a call to leadership. It's a call to recognizing the crisis of our era. And that means that you look at someone like Allie, who, ran, who lives in Tennessee. Yeah, she's, a, she's in the Democratic Party. Um, Allie also did a solidarity circle for 20 straight weeks uh, in solidarity with the Dakota Access Pipeline protests and you know, Standing Rock and stuff. And part of, part of what they did during that was they walked... To, over 10 miles to every single SunTrust bank in Knoxville <laughs> demanding that people divest oh, from yeah. SunTrust bank because it was invested in the Dakota Access pipeline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I fucks with that. Okay, like this is, so in the context of Tennessee, uh, she exists, like she, she's in this, she's, she's dealing with those contradictions and, and developing leadership and it is our, it is our duty not to judge and discard people for, oh, I don't believe in the Democratic Party. Blah, blah, blah. What? Fuck you. No. Our, 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 our task here is to collectively articulate who is us in a way that answers the relevant political question of what kind of society do we want and right. who gets to lead it. And you can't do that without creating political subjects that can rise to the occasion. And if you're constantly triangulating talking about oh this is a popular idea and therefore that's the only thing we can ever do like the shit that really moves right, shit right. is not fucking popular yeah. okay when you're talking about the masses you're not right. it's not a popularity contest it's talking about power okay and like power is not donald trump is not popular that motherfucker could <laughs> murk out any one of us and no, still no, 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 no order some fried chicken and be chilling, cutting it with a knife and a fork on the White House plane, okay, on Air Force One. He can still do that shit, kill any of us, okay? He, and it wouldn't be popular, but he could do it. So what, is, what are we really talking about here? The civil rights movement, these people weren't popular. They weren't even popular with black people. Okay, black people, like, these motherfuckers are crazy. Some, some of them, you know, you create a critical mass. And, uh, and you have to have principle and you have to exercise political leadership in times of crisis. And we are in a crisis. And that's what y'all recognize. And you're providing, uh, yo, I'm going to stop preaching real quick. I know that y'all ain't about preaching in this context, but I can't help it. Okay. My daddy was a preacher. My daddy's daddy was a preacher. My daddy's daddy's daddy was a preacher. I cannot fucking stop. 
okay? But I want to, I, I will preach the gospel <laughs> of Trill Billies to the day I, I fucking that, die. Bro. I swear to God, because I swear on everything, what y'all are doing is that creating those communicative practices that provoke new subjectivities for people that create a sense of pride. Like what I mean by that is like, I went to this convention in Pennsylvania, this organization called Put People First, which is a base building organization out there in Pennsylvania, right? They don't have their convention in Philadelphia. They don't have their convention in Pittsburgh. They have their convention in Somerset. It's, it's like almost two hours outside of Pittsburgh. All right. They bring these people from Johnstown. Right. Where apparently they film Slapshot. <coughs> it's in this, they're, they're from this town called Johnstown, right? <laughs> the convention starts out with these people from Johnstown talking about the history of their town. They talk about all the floods that came through that destroyed the place over and over again. They talk about the fact that Slapshot apparently was filmed there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but they get an opportunity in this context with their, with their peers to talk with pride about where they're from, these white people from rural Pennsylvania. And the convention is there that brings all these people across this division of rural and urban to organize together in that space. And they get to be proud. That shit means something. And I'm saying that when you take up this this subjectivity, the trillbilly, okay, whatever the fuck, okay, and you speak to these people, and you provoke a sense of pride, not just in self, but in a collective articulation of struggle for a, for, for a bigger us, for a transformative us. That means something. Because you're calling, you're, you're trying to call white people to, to actually be, to choose. Like John Brown shows. What, made a, what makes you a settler isn't the condition itself. It's what you do. And so that shit, that shit's important. You motherfuckers take, take that shit seriously. I love it. You know? <laughs> I'm it's swelling important. with pride all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we're well, just about to quit. Yeah, too. Ha- have you on more often, <laughs> RL, because, uh, yeah, you. You do it across the divisions. Y'all, y'all like, ha- you're talking you're you're integrated like it it's a different reality that you're that you're creating this shit is important that's how we get more heather hayers man i'm serious and it's it's our task now as a as a dsa i believe like because people say you know it's it it is it, it's super white not gonna lie this organization is incredibly white right but the way that that the way that that's articulated right now on the left is that it invalidates something but rather what I'm saying is what we have to do is create political leadership across divisions and find ways to build to build for the future and not just be locked into a rearticulation of the past and present in particular, but to move to say like, okay, who are we now going forward? And that's, that's the key task. That's the key question. What choices are people going to make to reconstitute this political reality? Because the Nazis done shows, so what y'all going to do? I'm happy. I'm ecstatic that, you know, 80, uh, uh, 89% of 30,000 pe- people, white people, are out of here saying, I want to be part of a new society. It's good. You know, and y'all are helping anchor that culturally. And I think that... Um, 
in a really interesting way. And I, I just want to, I want to just give, you know, show, show some love to that. Well, um, you contribute to it obviously by being a guest on our show as well. So we appreciate your time. Uh, you know, I, I hope, uh, I hope we could do it again soon. Yo, call me in next time to like talk about the fact that Kanye's 808s and Heartbreak though is the best Kanye album. Let me in with that. Fuck anybody who says anything different. Fuck all this wee shit. It's all Kanye, son. That is that is an unpopular opinion that we both share. I no lie. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um well RL, uh we appreciate it. Have a great time in New York while you're there. Um, and safe travels back to Texas. Um, I was born in Texas. I went to school at UT, so uh, right. it's it's par- partially my homeland as to, well. I'm gonna have to call you up. I'm gonna have to call you up and be like, I don't know what's going on here. Give me a history lesson. What's what's good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, feel free to anytime. All right. Well, we'll talk. And you can follow, uh, find RL uh, on Twitter. RL is dead, and look out for his writings and other things. Thanks again. All right. Peace. Thanks, brother.